Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes! Higgity have no fear. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here on today's I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Why no shooters? Why no NBA shooters shoot with the ball below their chin? But somehow, someway, I say it in air quotes, rapper Jack Harlow has been cast in the remake. They're remaking, probably going to ruin another classic. In the remake of White Man Can't Jump, yet we saw Jack Harlow at the Celebrity All-Star Game weeks ago shooting with the ball below his chin like a little boy. Plus, a wonderful week on Wendy Williams, and I have the international correspondent, the official slash unofficial international correspondent of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, Eli Lake, on a more serious note to break things down in layman's terms of everything that's going on in the Ukraine, uh, who is currently under attack by Russia. All that and more in a fantastic museum quality I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast coming up right now. Miles Jordan, a.k.a. the Bleach Brothers, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Start this puppy off with something real nice. Start this puppy off with something real proper. Yes. But most importantly, start this puppy off with something real loud. Yes. And real funky. Too. I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast. Let's fucking go. Boom, huh? Yes. 
Uh, Higgity, have no fear. The I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast is here. Boom. Name is Michael Rapport, a.k.a. the Gringo Mandingo, a.k.a. the Disruptive Warrior, a.k.a. the Inflamed Ashkenazi, a.k.a. the Sultan of Sniff, a.k.a. the White Chocolate Tito, a.k.a. the Disruptive Warrior. Did I say that? There's, there's so many nicknames, so little time. A.k.a. the Jewish Jake LaMotta. And you are now rocking with the very, very best. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Higgy, have no fear. Welcome to the Iron Dome of Disruption, the Ziggity Zone of Disruption. On today's podcast, I have guest the official, unofficial, international correspondent of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, the great Eli Lake, who has been with us for so many years, giving insight and intel to foreign affairs, political affairs, obviously with what's going on in the Ukraine right now. I wanted to get some, just some information, some questions some perspective from somebody who's educated and who covers international affairs for a living. He's a pro, just like I'm a pro podcaster, a professional shit talker, a professional disruptor. Uh, We're going to get to that in a little bit, but I hope everybody's feeling good. Hope everybody's feeling strong. Hope everybody's hanging in the pocket. Who do we want to hang in the pocket like this week? Terry Bradshaw. Hope you're hanging in the pocket like the great Terry Bradshaw, Pittsburgh Steeler. And I'm going to be in Pittsburgh this weekend at the Improv in Pittsburgh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday night. I was going to do a Sunday show, couldn't do it, but I'm doing March 4th, March 5th at the Pittsburgh Improv. Tickets are available at michaelrappaportcomedy.com. Um, then me, the Gringo Man, they go, I got some time off from the road, okay? I ain't going back on the road until the 24th of March, going out to Spokane, okay? I've never been to Spokane, all right? Uh, Spokane, Washington, ain't that right? Yep, that's right. Spokane, Washington, out there, uh, out there uh, on the West Coast. That's on the 24th of March. And then I'm off again from traveling on the 22nd of April, 22nd, 23rd of April. I'm in Irvine, which I'm looking forward to. And then on the 29th, 20, the 29th and 30th, I'm in DC. And then in May, I'm in Pleasanton, Pleasanton, California. I performed at that place, Tommy T's. I was outside, but this time we're inside. That's in uh, Northern California, right outside of San Francisco. That's in May, May 13th and 14th. And then there's some dates in the summer. There's some dates in the fall, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. All tickets, all information is available at michaelrappaportcomedy.com. And like I said, I'm excited to be in Pittsburgh. Uh, The only other time I was in Pittsburgh in my life was when I was doing a movie called... What the fuck is the name of that movie? It was a great cast, not a great movie. 
Money for Nothing. Money for Nothing starring John Cusack, Benicio Del Toro, Philip Hoffman, the late, great Philip Hoffman, Debbie Mazar, myself. Did I mention myself? I think Michael Madsen might have been in that movie. A great cast. Not a great movie. It just goes to show that when you have a great script, and it was an excellent script, it's a true story about a guy, a kid from Philadelphia named Joey Coyle, because the name of the movie was going to be called Joey Coyle, who wins the lottery? Was it like, did he win the lottery? And then the money gets stolen, and it's at the da 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 and then the mob comes in, and his friends come in, and he cheated the lottery, something. I had a great time doing that film. We were in Pittsburgh. It was the middle of winter. It was, we got snowed the fuck in. I remember that production had to shut down for like five days because there was so much snow. We couldn't leave the hotel. Me and Benicio were hanging out heavy. Uh, I mean, there was nowhere to go because we were literally shut in the hotel. John Cusack, who I was a big fan of. And, you know, I don't give John Cusack enough credit for inspiring me to be an actor. Because the movies Say Anything, iconic movies Say Anything, was the first time I went to a movie. I saw that movie when I was probably about 17 or 18, maybe 16. Whatever year it came out. We're not fact-checking. We never fact-check. But when I saw that movie, I remember I saw it with my friend Randy. We were with these two girls. When I saw that movie... I remember saying to myself, I can do that. I can do that. And I remember having a conversation with my friend about me becoming an actor, and I wanted to be an actor. And obviously, I talk about the actors like Stallone and De Niro and Travolta and Dustin Hoffman. But on a whim, going to see that movie Say Anything, I think that was the first time that it ever crossed my mind to actually be an actor. Like I said, I was either 16 or 17, maybe 18. I don't remember what year that movie came out, say anything. It's an iconic film, romantic comedy. And I just felt like, you know, John Cusack, he wasn't a pretty boy. He's like a regular guy, kind of fast talking, you know, and I was like, I can do that. Um, and then working with him was cool. He was really cool with me. You know, John Cusack has a, he's a dope career. You know, he hasn't done much lately. I don't know if that's by choice or he hasn't found the right thing, but I'm sure he'll wind up on some really good show to flex his muscles because people love John Cusack. Um, and like I said, Benicio, we were, we were fucking just going, it was James Gandolfini in money for nothing. James Gandolfini is also in money for nothing. And I had just done true romance with James Gandolfini. Yeah. James Gandolfini's in money for nothing too. Like I said, it's not a great movie. It's not a shit movie. It just is not a great movie, and it just goes to show with all that talent, and I just named off a bunch of people, and I'm sure I'm probably forgetting a few more people. You know, a movie could, I mean, Philip Hoffman, a movie could still not be great. Um, but we shot it in Philadelphia and in Pittsburgh, and that was the only time I was in Pittsburgh. I don't know, maybe I was there three weeks, a month, I don't remember. Um, but it was fun time. It was like 1993, 1995. I was a fucking kid. I was a kid, man. There was, this is a simple, simpler way of looking at life when you're that young. You're working as an actor. You're hanging out with all these people that you watched act. 
before you even considered acting. But I'm pumped to be back in Pittsburgh. You know, uh, in the 70s, in the 80s, you know, it was really two teams in America. It was the Cowboys, quote-unquote America's team, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I was Pittsburgh Steelers. This is when I thought I was going to be, you know, a professional football player. This is before I even thought I was going to be a professional basketball player. Both, as you guys know, didn't happen. But I loved that Pittsburgh Steelers team. I loved Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, Mike Webster, the center, because I played center on my football team, uh, John Kolb, uh, Jack Ham, uh, Jack Lambert on defense, Elsie Greenwood, Mean Joe Green. I'm going off the dome here. Fuck. I, I mean, I used to be able to name that whole defense. Uh, Mel Blunt, uh, of course, John Stallworth, Lynn Swan. Man, if I... If I look at it one time, I can name that whole offense and whole defense um, off the dome. But that was when, you know, you just didn't have access to ESPN. You didn't have access. There was no fantasy football. There was no phones. There was no, you know, you watch the games and you you watch the pregame. You watch the, the end game. And, you, you know, there's no changing the channels. There's only like four or five channels anyway. So when the games were on, you watch those fucking games. But my favorite was Jack Lambert. I loved fucking Jack Lambert. Um, and of course, Mean Joe Green. Everybody loved Mean Joe Green, the name. As a kid, how could you not love Mean Joe Green? So I'm pumped to be back in Pittsburgh. Want to try to get out there and explore the city best I can. I'm suspended in DMs. I already got one DM from an I Am Rapport Stereo podcast listener who's coming to the shows this weekend. Yo, I can't hit you back, but I'll do my best to meet up with you. All you got to do is say dingo. Come around the dress rooms after the show. Say dingo. Tell them, my, say, uh, tell Rappaport that somebody said dingo is outside. That'll be the password in Pittsburgh. It's always the password. Gringo man, dingo, sultan of sniff. Just say there's somebody outside uh, looking for the sultan of sniff or the inflamed Ashkenazi or the gringo man, dingo, and, and I will... I promise to do my best to try to say what's up to anybody who fucks with the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. And um, it's just been a great week, man. I had a great time watching the uh, doing the Wendy Williams show. Do you guys fucking watch the Wendy Williams show? If you listen to the podcast, when I'm hosting the Wendy Williams show, you have to watch it. It's bugged out. My man, Mr. New York, came to see me do it live in New York from France. Brought me a whole fantastic gift bag for, for me and Mrs. Rappaport. He does all the, the cartoons, the drawings, the dope uh, uh, artwork for the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast that always repost Mr. New York from France. But you'd bug out if you saw me on there because I can't curse, but I talk shit. It's a lot of fun doing that uh, Wendy Williams show. I'm going to be doing it again in April. The uh, 18th, the April 18th for another week. And um, it's just a fun time. I, ha I have so much fun doing it. Um, anyway, what else is going on? I saw that they're remaking White Men Can't Jump. Why are you re remaking White Men Can't Jump? Why don't, you, why don't you just leave well enough? Is it, what is it? Babe, what is it called? Leave well enough alone? Leave what? Leave well enough alone? 
the remake in uh, White Man Can't Jump with the rapper Jack Harlow playing the Woody Harrelson part. I know nothing about it, but I bet you Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes will be in it, which will be dope. And then they probably have kids, and, and Woody Harrelson's kid is probably Jack Harlow, who we just watched on the Celebrity All-Star Game. He can't play. He shoots with the ball below his chin. Any grown man that hasn't lifted the ball above their head to shoot does not know how to play basketball. I don't give a fuck what you see LaMelo Ball and these guys doing. Real shooters shoot with the ball above their eyes. It's not a papa shot. You're not in the seventh grade. You don't shoot with the ball below your chin. That's what little baby do. That's when you're too small. Steph Curry, you watch those videos of Steph Curry when he was a teenager. His father said, if you don't lift the ball above your head and learn to shoot like a big boy, you're never going to play in the NBA. He had to change around and do it. Obviously, now, sometimes when he catches it and shoots it, it sort of looks at it. He's doing that. But those are under extreme situations. There's no great shooter in the, in the history of basketball, the history of the NBA, that shoots with the ball below their chin. Larry Bird, Reggie Miller, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen. Jack Harlow, who's starring in White Man Can't Jump, shoots with the ball below his chin. He don't shoot like a big boy. He shoots like a baby, like he said, David Busters. Nonetheless, I hope it's a good movie. It'll be fun. I just don't know why they're remaking White Man Can't Jump, why they remake Space Jam. They're never as good as the first one. White Man, I, I auditioned for White Man Can't Jump. I hadn't really done anything, but I had an audition for that. I remember we had the auditions. First, you had to play basketball and get approved that you could play basketball to even audition. And I remember uh, playing basketball with everybody. Wesley Snipes, not Woody Harrelson, um, but like Matt Dillon, Timothy Hutton. I mean, there was everybody. I wish they had footage of that. Every actor, John Cusack was there. Timothy Hutton, I name him. Everybody was there. Anyway, they're remaking that movie. And uh, I got Eli Lake uh, coming up to break down everything that's going on in the Ukraine. And like I said, I'll be in Pittsburgh this weekend. And all tickets, all information for all the shows that I mentioned are available at michaelrappaportcomedy.com. michaelrappaportcomedy.com. Anyway. Let's just let's just get to it. Uh, coming up now is my guy, who's been breaking things down from Jump Street on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Let's bring in my man Eli Lake. Because you are listening to the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, there's a good chance you love sports as much as me, if not more. Gambling on sports is nothing new, but doing it from your couch is with more and more states and sites making it legal. There's so much money to be made. That's why me, Michael Rappaport, the Dust Brothers, and my guy, Ben Bowler, have created Captain Picks, a.k.a. a community of winners. We have a team of captains that are making winning picks at NBA, NFL, NHL, college football and basketball, plus live game betting and more. You can either have picks emailed to you daily, weekly, monthly, or join our Discord for up-to-the-minute plays and strategy. You don't have to be at this alone. Sign up at CaptainPicks.com today. That's CaptainPicks.com today and start winning tonight, today, ASAP. Boom. 
It's been a long time, but I knew when this whole situation unfolded with Ukraine and Russia, we needed the minister, the unofficial official minister of worldwide affairs for the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast for years, friend of the podcast, and as I said, the uh, official, unofficial minister of worldwide affairs, the excellent, informative Eli Lake to break things down. How are you, my man? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, if your listeners are interested, uh, this month we're going to be launching the Re-Education with Eli Lake. It's a new podcast that I'm doing, which will be political, but also cultural. And we'll, we'll do some deep dives and have some good guests. And uh, one of these days, I hope to have you on. Any Anytime. I owe you Thank many, you. many appearances. So anytime. Where are you launching it? Uh, it's with something called the Nebulous Network. It's a new podcast network. Uh, they have something called Instinct Wretches. They have one on military history, which is very good. And this one is going to be at first twice a week, like yours. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm wishing you nothing but the best. And, of course, I'd be a guest when, whenever you're ready, whenever you, uh, whenever you want me. You have nothing but support from me on um, whatever you're up to. And especially uh, with podcasting, and, and I'm sure it's going to be great and informative, and you could break things down as you do so well and so basically. And I say basically in the most flattering terms because, you know, obviously w the world is watching what's going on in Ukraine. And, you know, I just wanted you to come on to explain to me and to the listeners, how did we get here? How did we get here, and how are we going to get out of it? I mean, you could just sort of... There's so much to discuss and history and all that stuff, but how did we get to this point? So let me go back about uh, 10 years. And um, to understand Ukrainian politics, that uh, there has always been a, there was a struggle after the Cold War when Ukraine became independent between parts of the country that were Russian-speaking and then more Western parts of the country, including the capital, Kiev, which wanted to integrate with Europe. And eventually the side that wanted to integrate with Europe uh, proved to be a potent political majority. And uh, a longtime Ukrainian politician named Viktor Yanukovych ran in, I believe it's 2012, on a platform to integrate with the European Union. And that was seen as very threatening to Vladimir Putin and Russia, which wanted Ukraine to be sort of part of the economic network that was tied to Moscow. And at the very last minute, as Ukraine was about to accede to the European Union, uh, Vladimir Putin effectively ordered the president of Ukraine to reverse the decision and go the other way. And this prompted at the end of 2013 massive uprising in Ukraine, as one would imagine. Now, this is where it gets, there's a lot of different versions of this, and I have to admit that I reject the sort of Russian version of it, but the Russians interpreted this as a coup fomented by the United States. And they have said this repeatedly, but it was not a coup because in this uprising, the response, as it usually is when people take to the streets, was quite violent, and Yanukovych ordered the shooting of protesters. This led to a vote of no confidence in the Ukrainian parliament, and Yanukovych fled the country for Russia in the sort of dead of the night 
all of this is happening right you know, at the end of 2013. And this then is interpreted by Russia as an effort to remove basically what they consider to be their pro-Russian guy in Kiev. And that then prompts in 2014 the first – it's an invasion, but it's an invasion with special operations forces that don't have official Russian uniforms, which is very different than what we're seeing now. And that's what they do. They launch a sort of special operation to take a part of Ukraine called Crimea, which is later then officially annexed to be part of Russia. And then they also sort of stir up a separatist movement in areas of eastern Ukraine that border Russia, known as the Donbass and Luhansk and other places like that. And this then becomes, an all, uh, this is the beginning of what is the Russia's war on Ukraine. So there is a kind of intermittent fighting along these areas that are, again, close to the Russian border. That's how it's been since 2014. Now, fast forward to 2022, where we are right now. Last year, Russia began again building up military forces on the border of Ukraine, and most people believe that he might be preparing an invasion. And Joe Biden, the president of the United States, obviously, had tried for most of 2021 to talk to Putin and say, you really shouldn't do this. And the U.S. approach was somewhat conciliatory in that he lifted sanctions on this important pipeline between Germany and Russia known as uh, Nord Stream 2, which is a very, it's a very big deal in terms of not just the economies, but like sort of the geopolitics of Europe and Russia. And then the U.S. began getting very good intelligence about Russian intentions. It, as you remember, in the build-up to this, the, the president and the, and the U.S. government began declassifying the intelligence about Russian intentions to invade, and they promised devastating sanctions, but also said the United States would not be drawn into a war to defend Ukraine, which is not a member of the NATO alliance. So if Russia attacks Poland, which is a member of the NATO alliance, then you know, we have a treaty obligation to defend Poland. That does not exist for Ukraine. So that was the situation. There was a bit of a standoff. And then Vladimir Putin delivered last week, I don't know if you, and the listeners should, should check this out because it really reveals his insanity, a kind of crazy speech where he talked about a kind of fantasy view of Russian history and asserted that Ukraine was not a very, not a real country, that his intention was to denazify the country, and you know the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, is a Jewish person, which is a crazy thing to say that a country that elected a Jewish president is uh, a Nazi country. And then he launched his war, and then so that was last week. I think Putin badly miscalculated in the following way. He did not predict that Ukraine's leader, Vladimir Zelensky, and the people of Ukraine would stay and fight. And they managed to sort of repel the invasion up to now because Russia has a far more powerful military. Also, Vladimir Putin really miscalculated in the response, particularly from Europe. And I have to say, I was shocked to see the measures that have been taken in the last few days. Uh, it's remarkable. Switzerland, which is historically a neutral country that hid Nazi gold, 
has decided to freeze the assets of Russian billionaires. London, which is where a lot of the, uh, what are they called, the Russian oligarchs have uh, homes and they have their lives and they send their families there. Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, has really kind of gone into a financial war with them. This has nothing of the banking system, which allows for various banks to communicate, known as the SWIFT communication system, which is you need to be on this system in order to do any kind of global finance. And major banks have been kicked off of that system. It's a series of sanctions that are largely unprecedented, especially against a nuclear power like Russia, that is a kind of equivalent of a 21st century blockade. And that is not just financial, it's also diplomatic. Um, it's extraordinary how isolated Russia is as a result of launching that war. So that's the good news. The bad news is, is that Putin has raised the nuclear threat level. He has continued the war. And we now have lot evidence that in the last two days, his military is now kind of using tactics that we associate with World War II, where they are basically trying to kill and terrify the civilian population using artillery and bombs indiscriminately in residential areas, which is a humanitarian catastrophe and a pretty serious war crime. Um, so that's the status right now. And uh, it's a major crisis. And the world really has changed dramatically. That we There's no going back to the sort of prior economic and diplomatic relationship that the United States and Europe at least had with Russia until a week ago. That's a lot of information, um, and it's great information. What does Russia want Ukraine for, and what would they do if they win this war? Like, why are they doing this? It's not just for fun. Is it for financial reasons? Is it, what is the reason to do this? Well, I think there's a chance that Vladimir Putin is crazy, has lost his mind. It's happened before with dictators. But he imagines himself as kind of a heroic figure, as I say, in the long sweep of Russian history. So he says, and this is, is true like a thousand years ago, that the origin of the Russian people was from something when it was called Kiev and Rus, which is the original... So, so he sees Ukraine as part of Russia. Right. And the problem is even Russian speakers in Ukraine do not believe that. I mean, there was very vicious fighting uh, in one of the in second largest city, uh, which is majority Russian speakers. And they were, they were saying, we don't want to be occupied by Russia. <laughs> we, don't want, we don't want you. Get away. So he may have believed that, you know, Russian forces would be greeted with cakes and flowers and that he was liberating Russian speakers, but that's delusional. And so that's the first. So I think he's thinking, of, you know, he's 69 years old. Who knows how many years he has left? I hope it's very few. I hope it's less than one. But, um, you know, this is, he's, I think he's trying to kind of make a legacy play. And he thought it would be very easy to walk into Ukraine kill Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and, you know, the rest of his cabinet, and install a puppet government. And then I think he maybe thought he could leave, and that would be it, and that's not going to happen. And even if he gets to, U to Kiev, the capital, and even if he manages to do all that, I certainly hope Zelensky survives, 
there's going to be a major guerrilla insurgency in Ukraine that's not going to be good for the Russian soldiers who are going to have to occupy it. And so if he's committed to occupying Ukraine, it's going to be a huge burden for him. It's not going to be like he can easily pacify it. Um, and then you're, he's going to have to pay for all of that when everybody in the whole world except for China has decided that they're declaring like economic, the equivalent of like economic nuclear war on him. So all of these major oil companies and Russia's a huge energy exporter, but like British Petroleum, the French National Oil Company, they've all divested in the last few days. So, and the ruble is worth, I think it's dropped to like, I think it's dropped maybe 50 or 60% in value, but now we're at the point where it's like one ruble is worth like one cent, uh, where it was a week ago, it was probably like maybe six or seven rubles to the dollar. Uh, this is an economic shock that sadly average Russians are going to feel, but it's going to be hard for him to pay for a long military occupation. And that says nothing of the fact that before this, Russia's relationship with Germany, Germany was dependent on Russian natural gas. I mean, it, there was all of this economic ties between Europe and Russia, which constrained European leaders from really taking significant action against a lot of things that Putin has been doing for years that are very bad and undermine sort of the, you know, global order and things like that. And the fact that the Germans now said that they're going to be spending 2% of their GDP on military, they're now going to be sending arms to Ukraine. These are unprecedented moves to the Germans. The fact that, you know, Emmanuel Macron of France has announced that there's going to be, he's building 10 new nuclear power plants so as to become more energy independent. All of these are very bad long-term trends for Russia. It means they're going to have far less influence in Europe and they're going to be far poorer. So he's really screwed his country over to kind of pursue this like, weird dream of his to you know, unify what he thinks is the sort of historic borders of the Russian empire, which is an insane fantasy anyway. But you know, in order to do that, he's really made... He's made his country in a much worse position. It's really bad. It's very bad for him. Everything that you've said so far and everything that I've learned, it, this isn't like some financial gain no, for, well, for Russia. It's almost like an ego play. Yeah. Man, that's fucking insane, man. That's insane. He may have thought that he would never face this kind of resistance from Europe. So he may have believed that, like, there's no way that the Germans would agree to these kinds of sanctions, because if they do, I'll just cut off the gas and they're, you know, they'll be cold for the winter. And that's what I thought was going to happen. I, I thought that the Europeans would, would kind of, you know, wimp out on this. But I think two things. They, they didn't anticipate a full-scale invasion like that. They thought this would just be another kind of border war. And they also didn't anticipate... This guy, who was a former comedian and television star, to become like the Winston Churchill of the 21st century. And I think that Zelensky's courage uh, and statesmanship has inspired Europe. And that's why they say that there's an expression, you roll the iron dice of war, because, you know, you can plan it out, but it never goes according to plan. So it's not really going according to Putin's plan. At the same time, this could be... A disaster anyway because he's cornered and he's he has absolute power so there's no one in his inner circle to tell him to stop getting high on his own supply 
You know what? I'm, it's like uh, it's like Scarface. You know, at the end, Scarface is kind of nuts. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like this is like Putin's Scarface movie. It's like, take a look at the bad guy. The mask is off forever. Until now, until like, you know, 10 days ago, Putin had a lot of people, you know, in Europe and a lot of people in America and the West who just thought he was a thug. But he's now kind of in a very different category. He's in the Saddam Hussein, like Kim Jong-un category. Yeah, you can't. Anyway, I don't think he's going to be able to ever get out of that club. And it's oh, very no. bad you, for Once Russia. you're in that club, you, you don't get out of the club. Right. Talk more about Zelensky and, and his history. And, I mean, it's amazing that I think, you know, they thought, amongst other things, that he was going to be a, a pussy. He's just a comedian. He's a joke. And these guys, you know, uh, like, obviously, Putin, you know, takes himself very serious. He's a serious person. He's done serious things. He's been accused of serious things. He's a fucking animal. And, you know, pig dick Donald Trump is the only person in the world uh, praising him, which just reinvigorated how much of a scumbag he was to me. Not that I ever take my foot, foot off the gas, but I just was shocked that he could say those things about a dictator, a murderer like um, Putin, and then double down on them uh, two days later. But explain more about who Zelensky is and his history that you that you know of. Well, I yeah, I I've been to you, I've been to Kiev once, and I saw him speak, and I know I've talked to people who are like in his cabinet. Um, but Zelensky is, uh, you know, I think he's he's younger than us, and he's somebody. It's it would you know it's the equivalent of imagine if after the run of the West Wing, Martin Sheen ran for president and won because he had a show that was like a parody. It was I guess it wasn't quite like West Wing, but it's like a parody of Ukrainian politics, which you know, in fairness, is quite corrupt. <laughs> um, and then he decided, hey, I'm going to run. And the people loved him. And he ran as a kind of reformer. And remember, there was this moment where, I mean, Donald Trump, is a, it's a paradox with Trump because Barack Obama, after that 2014 war, declined to send Ukraine lethal aid. He declined to arm Ukraine, thinking it would be too escalatory. And Trump, in office, decided to reverse that and started arming Ukraine in 20, uh, at the end of 2017 and then used the, uh, used the lethal aid, as it's known, to Ukraine to then try to strong-arm Zelensky. If you remember this in 2019, this was the first impeachment, to dig up dirt and to announce an investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden but he also pursued a policy with Ukraine, which was to try to try to arm the Ukrainians. So the irony here is that it was a good bet to get the military to start training and equipping the Ukrainian military because they have put up much more of a fight than I think anybody had predicted, that it, it was not a cakewalk. And that is in some ways due to, as you call him, what is it, Dick Stain Donald. So the weird thing about Trump is that if he was more clever in this moment, he could have sort of taken credit for making that decision. Ah. You know, and then the other thing he said was, you know, notice he, that Putin didn't do this when I was the president. There are all kinds of reasons as to why Putin decided to do this now. I mean, Please one explain I, that. P please explain um, that, why he's doing it now, why Pig Dick Donald Trump is the other nickname I call him, Pig Dick Donald Trump, Dick Stain Donald Trump. Um, please explain why... And the reality 
of why he's doing it now, um, why he didn't do it just two years ago when Pig Dick Donald Trump was the president. Can, can you break that down? In the be- I mean, I know you don't have the answer answer because of, uh, you know, we're dealing with a lunatic with Putin, but can you break that down to the best? Uh, sure. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so the first thing is that the Russian military wanted to kind of build up its military forces. And, and there are some analysts who say that in 2019 or 2018 or 2020, it wasn't ready. And also, remember, 2020, we get COVID. We're just coming out of COVID. So it would be hard to launch a full-scale invasion under those conditions. Um, another factor, I think, is that, and this is, it's hard to talk nuanced about this because we live in a, our current political discourse is that you either love Trump or you hate Trump and you have to have an extreme position. But I think it's fair to observe that Donald Trump himself was kind of crazy and unpredictable and that he was capable of wild swings in like policy that other presidents before him and also with Biden are not capable of. For example, remember he threatened fire and fury and maybe nuclear incineration to Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Remember that? Yep. And then turned around and, and was the first U.S. president to meet with a North Korean dictator and talked about how wonderful their relationship is. Well, that is really unpredictable behavior. So if you are Putin and you want to make sure that you get to invade Ukraine, but you don't want to get a war with America, which has far more larger and capable military than Russia— then you don't know if Trump is going to be fine with that or if Trump is going to interpret it as some sort of challenge to his ego and, you know, bomb Moscow, which apparently, I mean, there's a, I don't know if this is true. I read it somewhere that apparently in one of their meetings, Trump has now said after the fact that he said, if you make a move on Ukraine, I, I will bomb those beautiful turrets when he's talking about the uh, Russian Orthodox Church in Moscow so that's one possibility that he just did. He was too unpredictable and it was too much of a risk. Um, again, I don't, I, I, we're not inside of his head. And I think the other thing is this, which is uh, an inconvenient fact, I think, for Democrats, which is that the humiliation after the withdrawal from Afghanistan, whether you agree with the policy or not, but the way it looked and the whole world that sort of looked at this, I think uh, gave the impression that America might be in decline and was in no position to, you know, sort of escalate militarily. Um, all of those may have been a factor, but we also might, must also might just be that two years of COVID isolation for Vladimir Putin made him crazier, and there was nobody in his inner circle who would dare tell him to not do it. And so he did it because he's nuts. Mm. What do you think of Joe Biden's response, his messaging, his comments on this, and will, and what would it take for the United States to physically get involved? Okay, so let me ask the, answer the first, the second question first. Joe Biden has made crystal clear, if Russia makes a move on any of the NATO countries, then he is inviting the military response of the entire alliance. So that's the threshold for America getting involved in a hot war. We are, by the way, involved now in a massive economic war with Russia. And there's probably a lot of cyber stuff and other things that are going on on the sort of CIA side of it right now, I'd imagine as well, which has kind of always been the case with the U.S. and Russia on the intelligence side. Um, 
On the other stuff about how Biden is doing, um, you know, if you want to give him credit for rallying Europe, uh, it speaks for itself. I th- Europe did more in terms of sanctions and, you know, kicking, you know, little things like the International Olympic Committee decided to ban Russian athletes from events. Um, so all of those kinds of responses, this massive amount of isolation, uh, that was Biden's strategy. And also, I think it's probably good for him to telegraph the Russian troop movements and war plans before the invasion, which sort of prepared the world for what was coming. Because I'm sure if the Russians had their way, they would claim that there was a provocation from the Ukrainian side and they were defending themselves, which is a lie. So getting that out there, that was very smart. I'm critical, however, is that, you know, it's good that Biden has said that Putin is now a pariah. He has no plans to meet with him. That's all well and good. But we should we should stop working with Russia, for example, on trying to get an Iran nuclear deal. We should stop trying to work with Russia on climate change. There should just be nothing that we work with Russia on, except, it's very important, the current nuclear treaty between the U.S. and Russia, there should still remain the channel, the military hotline between the Russian and U.S. military, because we want to make sure that we have every opportunity to avoid a nuclear war. So that's important to kind of have that transparency. But there should be a real downgrading of diplomatic relations. And that's the one thing he kind of hasn't done. But it might be coming. So overall, though, I think, you know, I would give him a B or a B plus. But, you know, listen, he helped. He did help galvanize the world. He should get some credit for that. But I think a lot of this just has to do with, like, the mask is off with Putin and everybody now sees, oh, my God, this guy really is, like, you know, modern-day Hitler. Do you think Pig Dick Donald Trump, I'm pivoting here, do you think Pig Dick Donald Trump will run for office in 2024? If you had to bet everything today, do you think slob dick Donald Trump uh, will be running for president again? Sadly, uh, I think he will. Um, it's uh, There's still a lot of factors, and there's a theory that he doesn't like to lose and it's not worth it, and he enjoys his life in Mar-a-Lago, but he really believes he's also crazy. He really believes the 2020 election was stolen and that he has to run to correct that. And, uh, you know, that's, that is what he wants to do. And I just, you know, if he does that, I think he'll probably lose again, even though Biden is not doing a great job. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's not like if there was just a generic Republican running against Biden, the Republicans would probably be back in power. But if it's Donald Trump, Donald Trump, you know, I think he's, you know, he has these devoted fans, but they're not a minority. They're not a majority. I think he, he really scares most Americans and they'll they'll vote for whoever is in Donald Trump. Do you think uh, that Biden, I mean, who knows? He's only one year in. Do you think he would run again? And if he didn't well, run. He said he has said he has. Oh, he said he will. Oh, I can't. St- well, Eli, what do you think of, of uh, Biden? What did you think of his his speech the other day. Yeah, the, the State of the Union. Yes. I mean, I was... I, he's just talking, I, man. I, I, he's just talking. Yeah. I mean, they all just talking, but he... Go ahead, you talk. Well, I, I would put it like this. I have been really disappointed with Biden on a number of things in my area, like Afghanistan, and, you know, I, I don't like his policy on Iran, and I can... But also, I just think that he... 
he needs to he needs to as the leader of the Democratic Party and the leader of the country, he needs to tell the people who want to like defund the police and police and tell us every pronoun that we're supposed to say and the changes every few days. He needs to tell that crowd that it's over, that this is not, you know, Americans are no longer going to do this. And that he needs to, it's just, just, because I think that there's a danger culturally mainly, but there's a danger of this sort of far left stuff, which is very intolerant. It's constantly canceling people. And it's like, you know, Biden has sort of won the presidency because he said, I'm a normal Democrat. I'm a normal person. So, like, I'd like to see more of that. And it just seems kind of like incapable. he's incapable of doing it. So, you know, my, my hope is that if the Republicans can't get it together and ditch Donald Trump, which they have to do, that maybe 2024 is the year where we really do get a third-party candidate. Because I think most Americans are where I would imagine you and I are, which is that we're now, we don't like Donald Trump. We're not into that. We think that's crazy. But we don't like all this super woke stuff. And we don't I can't like, stand these woke freaks. Exactly. And we can't stand it. Like, you know, like that. Remember that story in San Francisco from a couple of weeks ago where they had a recall election for the school board? That's in San Francisco, which is the, one of the most progressive places in the world. You know, they decided as kids were kept out of school for COVID that they had more time to like rename all these schools in San Francisco so that they weren't named for like even Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. They were going to rename the schools and everything like that. That's just, it's so out of touch. It's so crazy. Like that cannot be the democratic party. So Biden should be the guy. And he, I think he tried to do that a little bit in the speech, but he's got to go further. He, he needs to sort of tell AOC and the squad, you had your, you had your moment. Uh, it was fun, but we're moving on. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, the thing is, is the way he articulates himself, because it's such a struggle for him to articulate himself, I think that we can't really buy... It's like he's he's holding his breath every time he speaks, and us, the listeners, are holding our breaths every time he speaks. You know, there's no gusto. We know he's reading everything off. There's no, like, power behind what he's saying. And I don't know. I don't know. It's um, He's frustrating. Yeah, but this is a scary moment with Russia and Ukraine. And I am really rooting for Biden to prevail. Like, it's not now is right. not the time. We got to root for the president. Right. Because he's the leader of our country. And it's really bad if Putin gets away with this. It would be even, it's unthinkably horrendous if he uses nuclear weapons. Uh, so I want him to succeed. Yes. But so if you would have asked me about Joe Biden, I would have been spitting more fire two weeks ago. But, um, you know, it's a, we're in a different moment now. It's a little bit like the European 9-11, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right. And I think I, I'm going to be conscious of that, of, of being totally supportive of him right now, because it, it's only about winning. It's not about, oh, he's right or wrong, how good he's doing or how not good not he's doing. You're right. You have to support the president, especially... Well, in a time of crisis like this, right. And I you agree, can, you you're can, right. You can be critical of him, like, but not in the... It, there's a difference, and and you, I understand this. It's okay to say, like, hey, you know, I wouldn't have done it this way, or like, well, this is, this is we got to ask more questions about this. That's fine. I'm just talking about the constant thing about, like, oh, look at his, he, you know, is he senile? Does he have Alzheimer's? Yeah, we know whatever. he's senile. We know he's got Alzheimer's. Right. We, it's right. like, we, 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 right. like, speak about something else. He, is he doing well with Alzheimer's and being a senile old bag of bones? 
Yeah. In the last couple of weeks, he, based on what you're saying, and I agree with you, uh, you know, rallying Europe, I think in, that's the most important thing uh, that he's done so far, and, and he's done well. So uh, that senile old bag of bones uh, is hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, can I ask you one question really quick? Yes. Is this the year the Sixers finally get the championship? Or you're you're the not going to win the championship this year, but but you're going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Based on injuries and everything else, I'll have to, you know, listen, you just played like two or three games with James Harden, so I can't give you a... I've never, I'm, I haven't seen a guard like that. I mean, I love Iverson, obviously, but James Harden is a different kind of skill set than even AI. I mean, I can't remember the last guard, maybe Andrew Tony. I don't know. I mean, who was the last Sixers guard that could do the things that James Harden does? I agree. And with Joel healthy, they're going to be a problem. And the Maxi is awesome. And you have a real legitimate big three there. So you guys are definitely making it to the Eastern Conference Finals if, um, you know, everybody stays healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll talk before that. Hopefully there'll be some good news uh, some some world good news, and and I'll give you a further uh, breakdown of the Philadelphia 76ers. But just just hold your horses. I, I know you're excited. <laughs> hold your horses. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that ring. I, it's 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 book it. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I appreciate you breaking this down. I'm looking forward to the podcast uh, when it drops. You know, you'll always have uh, my support and I am Rapport Stereo Podcast support. And stay in touch with me, and I will stay in touch with you, Eli. I, I, I appreciate this information and, and your time. Will do, Mike Rapp. Thanks for having me. All right, Eli. I'll talk to you soon. All right. I want to thank the international news correspondent, official and unofficial Eli Lake, for taking the time to explain everything. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Share it. Post it. Tweet it. Post the link. All that shit. Let everybody know you're listening to the I Am Rap Poor Stereo podcast. And uh, stay safe. Stay sane. Keep your head on a swivel and hang in the pocket like the great Terry Bradshaw. Miles Jordan, AK, the Bleach Brothers, AK, the Dust Brothers. Take me out of here with something real nice. Yes. Take me out of here with something real proper, okay? But most importantly, end this beautiful Museum quality I am Rapport Stereo Pockets with something real loud. Yes. And something real funky. I am Rapport Stereo Pockets. I'm out.